You're listening to Flirting with Bitcoin. I'm your host, Mondana Yousefi, and this is my boo, Ian Reese. My husband, Ian, is a Bitcoin enthusiast, but I am quite the newbie. Each week, he tries to teach me something about Bitcoin or Bitcoin adoption. I promise we keep it real light and fun. But before we get started, make sure you go to goals.flirtingwithbitcoin.com and stack your sats for the week. Let's go. Hey, Ian. Hey, Mandana. Hola. Konnichiwa. Bonjour now. You know, actually, because we migrated to Substack, we got to say these in a different order now. What's the right order? I don't remember, but... I feel like I got a flow and like a rhythm going with these intros. Like, you're trying to change it up? I mean, we change it every week. The original idea here was saying hello based off the metrics. That's true. And the metrics yeah, have changed. Yeah, you love the data. All right, fair enough. Our well, top, Our top non-American country is Spain. Yeah. So hola. Well, yeah, but I mean it's it's changed. Like it yeah. was it was uh, Argentina. Argentina, yeah. So I don't know, maybe they have a VPN or something. Who I don't knows? Know. Shout out to Spain. Well, moving on. What time is it, babe? The current time is seven five nine four one zero, and we are six hundred and fifteen blocks since our last recording. And how many acres can I get on sunny Bitcoin Island for one? U.S. dollar. Uh, you can get 5,220 acres for $1 today. All right, so steady. A little steady the past few weeks. I mean, we've been chopping up and down at this price point for the last three months. While the rest of the world crumbles. <laughs> I mean, we crumbled very early. Yeah, we crumbled true, in the summer, true, true, right? True, 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 true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but since there's no one to bail you out, we basically fell all the way to the bottom. Mm-hmm. The world is going to have some intervention and get, get propped up a little bit. So the fall is going to take longer. But we've fallen and can get up. We fell and got up. So this week, Ian wants to continue our Married with Bitcoin series. It's going to become a series. Uh, We've talked about Bitcoin adoption, how we save our money, how we project our finances and our financial security for the future. Take it away, babe. How do you want to continue that conversation this week? Well, as you know, uh, I consume a lot of like Bitcoin stuff, right? I read books, I read magazine articles, essays, whatever there is that I, I find is helping me build that conviction. Yeah, and a lot of YouTube. It's actually getting less YouTube. I found like the couple of channels that I like, and so I just kind of rely on them. Mm-hmm. But there are a couple of things that I've read that we I've never really like brought up on the podcast. But when we started doing the Married with Bitcoin series, if that's what we're going to call it, there's an article that I read from a couple of weeks ago, which also is like expanding on something previously that he wrote that he talks about how fiat has like debased all types of things in, in your life. And who's he? Um, So the author of this one essay that I'm going to talk about today is uh, Jimmy Song. He's a Bitcoiner. He's been around for a while. Most people read his stuff. Um, He's he's usually referenced a lot. I just really like his writing style and the way that he approaches like explaining, you know, his view of Bitcoin because it's it's less on the technical side and more on just like, well, let's be rational about where we are and be honest with ourselves about how we're living our lives. 
And what is he saying about how we're currently living our lives versus how we could be with Bitcoin? So just off the one article that I want to reference today, um, what he's talking about is how fiat has debased families and specifically having children. And so one of the concepts or one of the themes that runs through the Bitcoin, like Twitter and the Bitcoiners uh, mantra is like fiat changes your incentive structure. It incentivizes you to do things that you would not do if you actually sat down and were rational about doing what's best for yourself. So a good example is like fiat has debased food, right? Or fiat has debased education. Debased meaning it has altered the real cost or value of it? Yeah, debased in the sense that it has less value, right? So like with Fiat has debased food. Well, if you live in a world where someone can make a crappy product and then borrow an infinite amount of money to keep that product in the market, even if it's A, not good for you or B, not selling, Mm -hmm. then when you put that on the shelves with other products that aren't borrowing tons of money to stay alive, maybe some things that are really good for you come and go because you didn't buy it because it was always sitting next to this one thing that's like, they wouldn't be in business if they wasn't making money. And so- And if it's on the shelves, it must be okay to buy Exactly. Someone's buying and making it. Exactly. And so... Or someone's making it and buying it. Yeah. And so his approach is kind of... Some of the essays that he's written that I remember very vividly are those types of essays. Like Fiat has debased insert thing in society or civilization. So Fiat has debased having children. That's Uh, what he's saying? For the most part, yes. But people are having less children or not having children. So... It's because they value them less. Ah, I see. Right. So really, I mean, I wouldn't say that people don't value having children. I would say that people can't afford it. That's pretty much the premise of the article is that that is our gut reaction, right? Like people aren't having kids because they can't afford it. Why can't they afford it? (laughs) Right. Like if you just ask the second, the follow up question, it usually comes back to, well, things have gotten more expensive. Mm -hmm. Well, why have things gotten more expensive, right? And if you trace it all the way back, you end up at the same answer as debasing food or debasing housing or debasing education, which is when the money can just be produced out of thin air, people can attempt to do things that are unsustainable for an indefinite period of time. And so that causes things across the board to go up in cost because we're not having the market clear out the actors that aren't actually efficient. Whereas if you didn't have that structure, having children would be a very efficient, low-cost thing. Is that what he's saying? Well, again, that's that's at the end of this like A to B to C, right? Mm-hmm. But in theory, if things were more affordable, people could afford to have more mm-hmm. kids. Well, what would make things more affordable, right? And then you work backwards with that same logic and you end up at, well, maybe if we weren't just printing money out of thin air, things wouldn't be too expensive to have kids. But in addition to that, he lays out all of the different ways that it appears this was actually planned. Like this devaluing of the family has actually been a goal that is, for the most part, been achieved. <gasps> an interesting theory to me like there are people who want to debase family and the goal of having children but don't you need people to procreate a lot for there to be a strong labor market so who who's out there wanting people not to have children well that's what i found really interesting about this article the premise behind what has happened or you know this 
this goal has been achieved is that back in the early 1900s, there was ironically a very similar economic situation that we're dealing with right now. They just didn't have the internet, but outside of the internet, it's roughly the same. It was very dire economic situation. And socialists, the Marxists of the time, assumed that under these certain economic situations, people would eventually revolt and overthrow the, the bourgeoisie and all this fun stuff, right? That was like their theory. And it didn't happen, right? People didn't rise up. They didn't overthrow the government during those economic times. And so they kind of sat down and looked at it and said, well, why didn't that happen? We, we thought it would happen and it didn't. And what they came up with was people's family structures prevented them or inhibited them from revolting. From taking on that risk. From taking on that risk. And because in those dire economic times, uh, your family can kind of insulate you from that dire economic time. So the bigger your family is, the more insulation you have. They came to this conclusion that it was the family that was preventing people from eventually revolting. And so they proceeded to formulate a plan to make people less dependent on their families and more dependent on the government. That way, when those bad economic times happened again, they wouldn't have the support of their family and the people that would be they would be mad at would be the people that are actually supporting them. And they would revolt. Yes. So who would want this? What, governments wouldn't want to put this in place because governments would never want people to revolt against them. Well, governments want you dependent on the government. Right, but they don't want people getting upset with them when they're messing up sure 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 but when you want people dependent on you which one is more important to you you can't maintain your power structure unless they stay dependent you'll risk the revolt and try to put it down in any way you can as long as you're putting down that revolt from a position of power i guess i'm not saying that I think this 100% happened. I think the idea of over the past 50, 60, 70 years, we've seen people become more and more dependent on the government. And somehow our economic situation is not getting better. There is a strong argument that I think is actually running through the Bitcoin community. This government thing isn't working out. We need to take that responsibility back. We need to not expect to have social security. We need to not expect to have universal health care. We need to not expect to have any support from the government and structure your life in a way that if this government disappears, you're still fine. But I think that's something that you could do right now when Bitcoin is brand new and buying into Bitcoin is going to establish some sort of long-term security for you. But what about 70 years from now when Bitcoin is the global currency how is Bitcoin going to be benefiting people when it's just their currency? I think this is like the biggest challenge for people to understand about Bitcoin. And I don't blame them. It's very difficult to like reorientate yourself to the world. Today, the reason why we acquire Bitcoin is because it is the better currency. Tons of currencies for us to choose from. We could have pounds, we could have lira, we could have yen. We're choosing a combination of dollars and Bitcoin. But the reason why it's a better currency is because it doesn't leak energy. There's no inflation in it. We know what the amount of Bitcoin is going to be at any given point in time between now and the last Bitcoin coming out. And that's just never been the reality for currency in our lifetimes, at least. As far as we know, that has never been the reality for humanity. So 70 years from now, Bitcoin is not susceptible to inflation. Technically, yes. Right. Because I don't want to say there's no right. Inflation. Theoretically, of well, course. No, no, no. We're like, not I'm not psychic. saying that there's no, 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 no. What I'm saying is that there is inflation, right? Mm -hmm. Like right now, 
there is a certain number of Bitcoin in existence, and every 10 minutes, more Bitcoin comes into existence or is unlocked, right. right? So by definition, that is inflation. We're inflating the supply of Bitcoin every 10 minutes. But that is an agreed upon algorithm for how much comes out and when and for how long. Instead, the world that we live in in the dollar is we could wake up tomorrow and Congress is like shipping $100 billion to Ukraine. Yeah. Right? So you have very little say in it and you have very little say in how much and you very have little you have very little say in the when the amount whatever so it's just a different reality that we'll be living in where you will have a stronger projection of where your money will be in terms of savings and retirement yeah i think a great example is hardcore way than the softcore way so the softcore hey. <laughs> so the softcore way is you could have a roth ira at unchained capital that holds only Bitcoin, mm -hmm. right? So in the event of some crazy market, stock market sell-off, you're still operating, like your Roth is now tied to Bitcoin. It's mm -hmm. not tied to the stock market. Mm -hmm. It's not tied to like an index fund or something, mm -hmm. right? The more hardcore way about that would be, I don't need you to hold my money until I'm 65. Yeah. The reason why people put money in all of those savings accounts and stuff like that is because they want the tax deferral so that when they get it later on in life, they've hopefully kept up or it has grown. But with something like Bitcoin as your base layer of money, you in theory don't need to play that game. Yeah. Just so you, a side note, today I saw a clip of Elon Musk. I think he was talking like on a podcast or something. And he was saying that it's painful looking at his European accounts because uh, he's just losing money every day and that he has to move it into Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, that's... And I was like, well, what about Dogecoin? Well, I mean... so that's that's a really old clip. I know the exact... Oh, is it? Yeah, it's really old. It's from like a year and a half ago. Oh, never mind. Um, this it's... is how you know I'm not on Bitcoin Twitter. Well, that's the thing is like, um, I know exactly the clip that you're talking about. And the reason is, is because Europe has negative rates. Right. So when you have your money just sitting in a savings account, you're losing money. Which we are right now in America as well. Yeah, but that's overtly doing yep, it. Yep. They have a number on a page that says <laughs> negative... 0.1 that's different than like money inflation and you don't know if it's 0.1 or 7% that you're losing every year which looks more like it's 7 than 0.1 so the Europeans have an official loss and a hidden loss because of inflation ouch But you wanted to talk about this as part of the Married with Bitcoin series. So bring this back to like what it means, I guess, to be a husband. Like, why did you want to talk to me about it? <laughs> For one, I read this article a couple weeks ago. I think I might have sent it to you. I think you did. But it popped up again today. It just registered a little differently this time because, you know, we've started talking about like starting a family and stuff like that. Uh, I think that having the Bitcoin podcast also talk about how it affects kids and like the family structures. You know, we've already talked about us being married, but we haven't talked about the family part of it. But for me, I think what you're describing with like the family unit being really strong and helping you get through whatever happens. Like I live that right. Mm -hmm. I come from a really really big but tight-knit family uh -huh. um, and it's literally what's gotten us through a revolution and a migration and like we've successfully come out of it and so all of that all of like this and what you're talking about is a no-brainer for me so I think it's um it's it's interesting that it's 
something that the Bitcoin community talks about, but I think that there are likely a lot of cultures around the world that are already living this way. Likely Americans were not necessarily living this way. 100%. I think these two things are correlated. Strong families and sound money. Families that are socially strong, Mm. Bitcoin helps you be economically strong. Mm. You know, I've observed your family. You guys are pretty economically strong as well. But the point is, is that, you know, for this, for this, the purpose of this podcast and like what message we're trying to like get out to the world, I would say that before Bitcoin and before meeting you, I don't think this article would have really registered to me how Bitcoin and family and the importance of that and the importance of like the the tightness, even though you guys are always in each other's business, (laughs) right? Like there's obviously some downsides, but what downsides? (laughs) There's obviously some downsides. I think on the whole, it's a net positive. Yeah, absolutely. It's worth it. It's worth whatever uh, inconveniences or, uh, you know, additional obligations that come with a large close family. It's the support system. It's a guaranteed support system and it's like exponential benefits because your family just grows. And if you stay together, it just gets stronger. The really interesting thing in America is that I noticed like right off the bat is that people don't live in the same area as their family. They don't live in the same area as their siblings. People are very scattered. They only like will, you know, get together once or twice a year and that in and of itself is like an economic drain on you. If, if mm-hmm. when you need to see your family, you have to buy a plane ticket. It's you know, it's just things like that where it's like you have to set up your life to be around your family. And I think there's something about American culture where it's like you go live where you want. It doesn't. Don't worry about your family. And it's like no, sorry, you cannot live where you want. You gotta live near your family because. If you have children, you need your village to raise those children. You can't be raising those kids on your own. And it's like, to what you're saying, like, you know, do you need to rely on the government to help you raise your kids, for example? Like, you don't. <laughs> if you have a huge family and they're there, or, or they can raise your kids for you while you're at work, you, you don't necessarily need to put them in daycare. And if you talk to a lot of people who are not from America, a lot of them don't use daycares, you know? They don't, even. it doesn't even register for them. It's not usually a financial option for them if they're immigrants, but they figure it out because they have a a network. So yeah, that's definitely the mindset that I always come from. And I, I think just generally because I'm an immigrant and I come from a family that thinks this way. A lot of things about Bitcoin have always just made sense to me. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really great that this has, I don't know, was it me first or was it Bitcoin that made you think more broadly about like the importance of not family, but just the importance of power in numbers when it comes to family. Because you come from a big family too, babe. I mean, my family's technically bigger than yours. Yeah. It's not a competition. And I would say they're in each other's business too. They care. It's not being nosy. It's caring. I didn't say nosy. <laughs> I feel like you're implying my family. I just said during each other's business, you used the word nosy. Um, no, I also come from a big family, but my family is big and, and dispersed, right? So it's like we're in California, we're in Florida, we're in North Carolina, we're in New York. We are all over the country, right? The stories that I grew up hearing about this big family is that we all used to be in this one small town in New York. 14, 15 aunts and uncles, all within walking yeah, distance. They were brothers and sisters back then. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, like my aunts and uncles, right? Yeah. Um, with with all within walking distance of each other, all very, you know, whether you're beefing with somebody or not, you're all still close. Raising each other. Yeah, and so other. like 
but me growing up, I didn't live that. Yeah. Like that was just a story that was told to me yeah. and I never saw it. And so it wasn't really until I met you really. Who I mean, grew up in something like that. Like you, you are probably the closest, like you and your family is probably the closest like corollary I've ever seen yeah. to like what my family grew up with. Yeah. Right. Obviously the scenarios are very different. But in a weird way, they're also very similar. Obviously, which, we were fated. Which we, we've kind of talked about like off show or... Yeah, why would we in, talk in, about in that on the podcast? <laughs> um, but but the, 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 the Bitcoin angle here that I think is very interesting is that I think Bitcoin forces people to reevaluate certain assumptions that they have for anything. And I think that it's very interesting that this guy, Jimmy Song is approaching this one particular topic of fiat debases the family, fiat debases large extended families, and fiat is basically designed to isolate you down to the individual. And once you're isolated down to the individual, then it's very easy to make you compliant. There's no alternative, there's no alternative viewpoint coming at you. You don't have a large group of people that are just it's okay for them to challenge you. Only place that you get that now is on social media where you're just allowed to cuss someone out the minute that they say something you don't like. It's like, that's not really how family works. Like you got to <laughs> see these, but you got to see these people again. You eventually have to kiss and make up. You Maybe you beef for a decade, but eventually it's like, okay, Thanksgiving can't be awkward every year. Eh. But like, I think looking at, for example, like how health insurance works. You can give your kids your health insurance, but you can't give your parents your health insurance. Like, that's how disgusting the American system is. Where everyone's parents, at a certain age, when you're working, they stop working. And that's when they get sicker. But you can't give them your health insurance. They don't count as your family unit when these are the people who raised you and are probably raising your own kids now. Well, that's my point, right? So in that scenario, you're 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 talking about healthcare and health insurance, right? That is still fiat. Yeah, I understand. Like right? it's not directly it's but like it it's it's a part of the society that's been born out of the fiat. Right. And so a bitcoiner would say, "Well, I don't want to get health insurance. I'll buy bitcoin every month." instead of that premium. And when something goes wrong, I will sell my Bitcoin for dollars and pay for it. But you can't save for those rainy day events if the money that you're saving is constantly being eroded from you, right? But with Bitcoin on a hard money standard, you could totally do that. You don't need any of these insurances. Well, you might for like very large ticketing. For now, yeah. <laughs> well, you, well, you still might need insurance for things. I'm not saying that insurance isn't necessary, but a lot of insurance today is to protect the person that loaned you the money to buy the thing that you can't afford. Homeowner's insurance. Because you don't own the whole house. Mm -hmm. So if anything goes wrong, they're like, we want to make sure that it gets fixed because technically that's my house. Mm -hmm. Same thing for car insurance, right? If you don't have the deed to your car, you can't just like get limited liability. They want you to have full collision coverage so that they get covered if you wreck this car. Mm -hmm. But on a Bitcoin standard, well, number one, in theory, like a hardcore Bitcoiner wouldn't borrow money to buy a car. You would own a car outright. And then you get to decide what level of insurance yeah. you want on but it. But when you say things like that, I'm like, that's such a dream. And I feel like it's just such a luxury. And probably because we just live in a world where everything's debt based. Mm-hmm. But that transition to not acquiring anything if you have to go into debt for it. 
Like that'll just be a very interesting transition. And hopefully that brings down the cost of most things because right now everything's inflated because it's based on the assumption that you're going to get an auto loan. You're going to get a mortgage. You can already live like that, right? Like your your car is proof. I, I needed a loan to first buy it, but it's paid off. Sure, sure, sure. My but, car is 11 years old, ladies and gentlemen. Sure, but what I'm getting at Ian is... Ian hated on it when we first met, but now he's driving it. I still hate it. <laughs> But we don't want a car loan. (laughs) Yeah. But that's my point, right? So let's say something happened to your car, right? And we had two options. We can go get a brand new car and get a car loan and then have to get insurance on it. And that can add up to, you know, at least $1,000 a month, depending on what you get. Or you go buy some raggedy beater for like $3,000 and just drive that thing till that falls apart. How many raggedy beaters could you buy and drive till they fall apart? For the price of one of those new auto loans. Right, yeah. People just don't live that way. People don't live that way. People don't think that they have to. No, definitely people live out of their means. Like, period. I agree with you. I don't like living out of my means. I have nothing to prove. I'm not trying to flex on people. So I think there's also that side of it. And I think... Like going back to the family unit, either your family unit tells you like, be humble, don't be flashy with your money, save your money, be smart with your money. What are you doing with your money? Tell me what, you know, like in your business, all of that. Or everyone's just trying to one up each other. So it's like the family unit can also like poison your mind when it comes to what you want to be doing with your money. But I would hope more often than not, people's families are encouraging them to just not spend their money. My family's like, you spent how much on what? The main idea here about Bitcoin, if fiat is, you know, debasing the family, then Bitcoin is like strengthening the family, is that at the bare minimum, once you get into Bitcoin, you immediately start to think, if I truly value this thing this much, who am I going to give it to when I die? Like at the bare minimum, you have to think about that. Is that what you're thinking about? Yeah. It encourages... It better be me. Okay. I feel like there's some documents lying around that say it's you. I, I recall signing some paperwork. Yes, yes, yes. But the, the point that I'm getting at is like, it, it makes you think about who am I going to give this to? If this is as important as I think it is, I want the person that I give it to to understand why it's so important, right? And so now you're in the situation of, sure, if I get hit by a bus today, yes, all our Bitcoin goes to you. You know, if we were like 20 years older and we had like a 10 year old or something like that, right? Like if some of it's going to him, I, I want my kid to understand what Bitcoin is and to understand at the earliest age possible that like, yes, you're going to see that money is important. We need money to survive, but there's good money and there's bad money. And when someone offers to pay you in the bad money, question that. Or also, this is real money. Don't blow it. Sure. And there's there's tons of stories of like, you know, I mean, the Vanderbilts are probably the best example of a family that was extremely wealthy. And now there's like, what, Anderson Cooper left? Mm-hmm. We could have a longer conversation about the family wealth aspect and if it is even really designed to last. But with Bitcoin, I think it is. And I think that with Bitcoin, you know, thinking one more generation than people normally do, it's like, okay, cool. I want my grandkids to understand what this is. And I want my kids to understand that, no, the goal is to pass this on to your grandkids. The goal is to not ball out when you get it. And do you understand why? When we look at the demographic change and we see that families got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller over time, what I think it's actually reflecting is the reasons why you save money were being lost. Like you can't sustain multiple generations of large groups of people 
if there's no wealth. You and me are starting today, but let's just say crazy scenario, we get to like 100 Bitcoin, right? That is literally generational wealth. Mm -hmm. That's the dream. And you have to be able to think in generational wealth before you get generational <laughs> wealth. Right. Like because if you because that's what you see with people who win the lottery. Yeah, they want five hundred million dollars. They don't know how to live with five hundred million dollars or how to share five hundred million dollars or how to make five hundred million dollars last. And three years later, they're broke. Bitcoin could run that same gambit. But I think the Bitcoiners and the stuff that like Jimmy Song is writing and the stuff that the Bitcoiners are reading about family and about legacy and about a lot of what I think, to your point, you know, immigrants live and, and kind of bring to this country, they re-import a lot of that family value that when you're trying to survive in America, you kind of can't do those things. So I think Bitcoin is like bringing a bridge between like the hustle of America with like the family mindset of the rest of the, the world. Rest of the world. Well, I'm glad to see Bitcoin is bringing you around to my way of life, baby. I'm not a crazy person. I have to be honest when I see something working and when I see something not working. And I've observed your family for five, six years now. And, you know, I got a couple critiques, but for the most part, <laughs> you know, for the most part, it just, it makes sense to me. Yeah. And, and I, I never want to be the one that's like, oh, I'm on this family's like this big crazy mess. It's like, nope, that's, hey, I'd rather have that than being alone oh, yeah. in an apartment. Oh my God, Absolutely. You know, it's interesting though, like I don't really think about my grandkids. I think my grandkids are going to be fine no matter what because I had so many hardships and I was like self-made and I had to do everything myself. I mean, of course, my parents were incredibly supportive, but I've been working and paying my own way since I was 12 for everything. My parents had a roof over me and food, but I literally, any money I spent since I was 12 was my own money. And so I'm like... My kids are going to be fine. <laughs> My grandkids are going to be fine. But then it's like, it's because I'm in survival mode and I'm pulling myself out of survival mode and I'm just happy enough that my future children won't need that. Ideally, they won't need that, but who knows? But it's like dreaming big to think, wow, I could just give them generational wealth and they won't even maybe have to work for another person. They can just do whatever they want. They can just relax. They can be creative. They can run their farm if that's what their grandpa taught them to do <laughs> or their great grandpa because i think my dad would have a farm as well if he didn't have to work that farm idea yeah. is such an interesting point somewhere in me i've always liked plants mm -hmm. but it just got suppressed with like video games and electronics and all that fun mm -hmm. stuff and then right before i met you i started getting back into plants and then covid hit and i just started like this garden in our apartment well, even before covid when we moved in together that's what i'm saying it's yeah. like it, it started it accelerated and now like at our house we have like a front yard garden we're gonna yeah. do the backyard garden i don't think that bitcoin changed that in me i think that that was always in me and then bitcoin kind of showed me the things that you should value and then when Bitcoin shows you the things that you should value, you realize like, oh, there are certain things that I, I do that aren't valuable mm -hmm. and they're wasting time for me doing things that are valuable. Maybe I should just reallocate time. Uh, yes. Another example where it's like immigrants versus Americans. Not that I want to. I mean, I'm American too, but I'm also an immigrant. All immigrants think about is food. So a lot of them farm or have like gardens. I guess a lot of them have gardens. <laughs> 
Well, right, but it's it's, such it's a- like food is the most important thing. I don't care how much money you make. You have a you have a balling garden that you're super proud of that you tend to on the weekends. I love that Bitcoin brought that out of you as well. Again, I don't think that was a hundred percent Bitcoin, but yeah. I do think that Bitcoin like reinforced it. Mm-hmm. Where yeah, it was I think like- so too. Certain things take time, respect why it takes time, and certain things that are quick and easy, there's a reason why they're quick and easy, and you should question that. Like even in our neighborhood, I'm out there working in the front yard, and- <laughs> Out there working, you make it sound like a field. It's like a nine by nine plot on our row, DC row house. <laughs> so I'm out there working as you're sitting in the air conditioning. That's right. So- there's that. Yep. Um, so I'm out there working and the neighbors are all curious. Yeah. They see me doing stuff. They ask questions, but they're not like, they're not replicating what they see. And so even when it's right in front of you, like I was out there the other day, I was pulling green beans off. They saw me doing it. It's like, oh, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to go cook this. Oh, okay. It's like, even with that in front of you, like you guys saw me do this whole process. I don't say this pejoratively, but they won't do it. Mm -hmm. There's something else they're choosing to spend their time on. And even though it's right in front of them, it still doesn't seem valuable. I think this goes back to, you know, if you have a partner who's not really paying attention to Bitcoin or is kind of blocking it out, I've seen the benefits to Bitcoin. Obviously, like when Ian met me, I was like, this is the world that I come from. This is the culture that I live in. This is kind of my life. And this is not necessarily what I expected him to take on. But obviously, subconsciously, like, this is how I was raised. And so I guess subconsciously, I expected this for my life. But marrying an American... I didn't necessarily expect him to take it on maybe this quickly, but Bitcoin seems to help instill values that were really important to me, which are like long-term family planning, thinking about the future, thinking about our health, all of that. So if that's an angle that you could use to show your partner, like, no, it's not just about making money. It's not just about like really cool technology. Like this is about strong family bonds. I think that's another nice angle to bring your partner in and have them be a little bit more open-minded about Bitcoin. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Did you know the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast runs on the value for value business model? So what does that mean? Instead of having to listen to us read the same batch of ads every episode, we're looking to you, our listeners and supporters, to support the show if and when we provide you with something of value. Value can be anything, some new piece of information, a new point of view, or even a good old fashioned belly laugh. When we provide value, we ask that you contribute to the show what you believe the value is worth to you. Hence the term value for value. 